hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the stupid Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Sack. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Because he has a lot of chit spot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hello and welcome to episode 389 of the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, proud 20-year young adult brain cancer survivor, coming to you from the chemo deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. Broadcasting since 2007, the Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer, online at stupidcancer.org. I'm Mallory Rivera, program manager and co-producer of The Stupid Cancer Show, welcoming all our first-time listeners and returning listeners. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks. Because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world, one chemo infusion at a time. Got a full house here in live in studio, Cancer, a family affair. Noah Wexler just finished his sophomore year in high school. He also happens to be a six-year brain cancer survivor. Yeah, but I had medulloblastoma. Noah and his family are all right here, visiting New York City as tourists, dropping by the studio to be live interviewed here at the mercy of me and how they dealt with Noah's diagnosis and uh, Go and Noah, an annual walk to raise awareness of the needs to find a cure for brain cancer. Survivor Spotlight on the one and only Miguel Ramirez. Again, amazing. Great show. Hasn't even happened yet. It's a great show. Hello, Mallory. Hello. How are you doing? I'm just... Ducky or dandy? I, I, I am a mix between both. You're wavering. I'm wavering. You're wavering, okay. I'm not going to go in, you said episode, but I get episode two, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you been drinking before the show? Because we're supposed to drink after the show. No, I, I think I'm uh, I, I'm just having a little moment. <laughs> okay, you're allowed. <laughs> it you're happens. Allowed. Exactly, exactly. I'm, I'm so excited that there's all the people in studio. I don't think we've ever had this many people on a mic, ever. Actually, that's not true. There was We did a oh, show no. before you started in 2011 or 12. Kenny and I did a show where we had 17 people in this room. They weren't all on mic, but there were 17. Imagine that. 17 people that, that, that's, in this room. That's a lot of people. It was, it was hot. I, I <laughs> would the imagine. Show, the, the temperature. The, the room, this room has a tendency to be a little bit on the warm side. So exactly. I would imagine 17 people, it would yeah. be quite warm. Exactly. 
Uh, quick announcements. We are uh, proudly launching our fundraiser this fall called Toast, an evening with stupid cancer. It is going to be online at uh, toast.stupidcancer.org. We will be promoting it on social. And it's going to be a it's lot gonna of be fun. Really big. We never really had a fully public, gigantic fundraiser before. Everyone was like, really? How could you never do that? I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> We've never done that before. That's what happens when there's only one of four us. to six people. <laughs> one of me for a while and the two of us for a while. Yeah, four to six people. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a big deal October 13th at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Gonna be awesome. Super cool. Three hundred people or so. Tickets on sale now. Sponsorships available. And it, it's. It, I was talking to somebody today about that. Like, why have you never done this? It just seems so expected. Yeah, that's what charities just do. We're we just break the mold. In We're every just way. different. We're, We're just, just different. Different. No, I. I think our board our board chair uh, Thea and one of our board members Dave says we were kind of built backwards. <clears throat> yep. We started with big corporate partners and then finally moved into a gala. Yeah, you know. Yeah. N- n- working backwards is okay, too. But a very exciting. So toast.supercancer.org. Be on the lookout on social. And, uh, yeah, we got a full house here. Packed to the gills. Oh, yeah. So uh, let's get to our first guest, Miguel Ramirez. He gets special introduction music. Sexy bro. Like Sexy bro. I like it. Sexy bro. I like it. Miguel Ramirez is an 80s baby, born and raised in New York City. In 2010, he graduated from Wesleyan University with a BA in what? Well, just Bachelor of Arts. Okay. Usually it's a, with a specialty in library or something. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Currently, program associate at the Center Against Domestic Violence in the near future. He plans to attend grad school. However, his most immediate goal is to have an epic summer. That's my goal, too. Yeah. Diagnosed with testicular cancer of the chest. Yeah, that's gonna be fascinating. Sitting right here next to me, the one and only Miguel Ramirez. Hello, hello. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. Yeah, so I remember your story uh, pretty well, and uh, just that whole concept of you can have cancer in another part of your body that isn't the name of the cancer of the body part it's supposed to be in. Yeah, no, a friend said I had uh, chesticles. Ah, <laughs> yes, I remember that. Yeah, that is I mean, that's your hashtag. Yeah, chesticles. Is that your band name, too? It should be, <laughs> if I had one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, I, you know, this is a, a young adult show, and we talk about stories. I mean, we always ask the question, what was your life like, let's just say three months before everything hit the fan? Just living your life, 80s baby, in Brooklyn. Um, Not Brooklyn. I live in uh, Washington Heights. Oh, God. So no, you can't. You have to leave. You have to leave. Washington Heights. Yeah. Yeah. That's where Mallory lives. Yeah. Nice. You're in the club. Yeah. Okay, good. It, it's a good place to live. I love it. It is. I love it. <clears throat> it's the best. It is. Cloisters. Sorry. That's not so far <laughs> though. I know. Like I know. Inwood. We're making Manhattan jokes. Yeah. On an international show. Perfect. That no one has any idea what we're talking about. So come visit. <laughs> yeah, come visit yeah. and find yeah. out. Come, come visit and hang out at the top. Exactly. The, 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 the uh, Convention and Visitors Bureau of New York City. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what were you up to? You working? Um, at that time, I was, yeah, I was just working and trying to figure my life out. Actually, well, that summer, uh, because I was diagnosed in January, so I guess six months before I had applied to uh, graduate school, I... Just got my license then at that time on my birthday. Uh, what else did I do? I was I felt like I was doing a lot, but you were in school though. No, I was applying to school. You're applying to school. Okay. Yeah. So you had graduated. Yeah, I had graduated college already, but I wanted to apply to graduate school. So I was like, hmm, Right. Let me try, let me see what where I can go or 
what my options are. Right, right. Yeah. So what was your, I know you had a BA in Wesley, and what was your focus? Did you have any specific, I mean, everyone's like, I have a communications degree. Like, oh, my major was <laughs> a East Asian Studies. Wow. Yeah. You could oh. be the first guest I've ever had. <laughs> that oh, was really? an East Asian right, Studies good. major. Yeah, so that was fun. Where did and, that come from? That sounds fascinating. Um, I was just, I mean, it's weird. I've always been interested in Asian culture ever since I was little. Um, my brother's an artist, so he was at that time when he was younger, like interested in anime. So I used to watch a lot of anime. Okay. And I thought it'd just be interesting to finally learn uh, to understand all the cartoons I was watching without the subtitles. So I decided to take Japanese and then it just turned into a major. You know the uh, why anime characters have such large eyes? Do they? You know that? Supposedly, it's because they try to, uh, I guess. Trying to make them more American. It's but, part of um, that. Part of that is is it, it, everyone originally thought it was like 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 um, racist or something. Like we only Americans look like very white. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's because larger eyes attract your attention more oh, to the visual animations that. of a show. They bring you. They draw you in closer to characters. Like if you look at Frozen and Disney princesses, their eyes have gotten huger yeah. over the years. You think about that. Everyone's eyes are disproportionately large as characters, as princesses. You know, in um, in uh, what Tangled and, and Frozen, they're large. Yeah, it's that's the same reason. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they, and it was a brand new style; it had never been done before, and it worked really well. Yeah, I mean, Dragon Ball, up. dude, Dragon Ball, come on, Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> yeah, oh my god, I'm bringing you back, '80s baby. Uh, exactly. Yeah, so many hours. <laughs> <laughs> Time wasted. I'll never get back. Yeah. So yeah, so you're going, we wanted to go to Gaskell, but this it didn't happen. What were your symptoms? Um, in retrospect, I did. I, I just had like uh, in July, like the summer before, I had some chest pain. I thought nothing of it, and I just like I took a painkiller, a Tylenol, and then kept it moving. And in December, I uh, had some night sweats. And I'm usually a warm person, so I thought it was normal. I thought it was just like, oh, I'm hot. I need mm-hmm. to, you know, take the covers off. Um, but I was getting frequent nice sweats, and I actually, um, I coughed up some some blood. But it was mixed with mucus, so I thought it was kind of like maybe I had been coughing too much. Right. And that I was getting sick. Oh, boy. So yeah. I thought I was a little bit hoarse. So did you like, have oh. a primary care at the time? No, at that time, no. I did not have a PCP, a primary care physician. Um but it was interesting because before I got diagnosed, I had just signed up for insurance. Ah, so I was you were in that ninety-day waiting period too, or not, not even period? ninety days? Like the week, literally the week before. Oh man, I ended up oh, in the man. emergency room. I had signed up for okay. insurance, and they let you have it. Yeah, they had to expedite. <laughs> <laughs> they had to expedite my my application. So, so how lucky. long was the window between this doesn't feel right and we definitely know what's wrong with you? There, um. There really was no window because I I ended up going to the emergency room. So I was at my parents' house on my way to my girlfriend's house, and I just couldn't breathe. And I knew that something was wrong. So by the time that I got to her home, I was like, you need to take me to the emergency room because something's wrong. And then they found it there. Um, yeah, I waited nine hours, and then eventually I had an x-ray and uh, a CAT scan. And they were like, well, you can't go home tonight. You have to stay. Were you in part relieved that it was something and that you weren't crazy? Or were you like, oh, my God, what do we do now? Um, or both, maybe. I didn't know how to react because I really didn't think it was anything. Mm-hmm. And then when they told me it could have been like, I mean, she like the uh, 
the nurse practitioner kind of read off like it could be lymphoma. She like read off a whole bunch of things that it wasn't, but that it could have been. Lovely. And I didn't know <laughs> how to react, so I was just like, okay. Um, but it was it was weird to like be forced to stay in the hospital, which is yeah. I think that was the most impactful. Thing. And how many days were you there? I spent three weeks in the hospital. Wow. Just waiting to like be diagnosed pretty So they much. wouldn't discharge you. No, they wouldn't discharge me because they said if they discharge me because of the whole insurance thing right. that like if for some reason that I needed care, like they wouldn't take me. They they or they couldn't take me back. Something. So some kind of crazy loophole where you yeah, had to stay was, in the hospital. Yeah, it was a huge loophole. So basically I had to stay there um for three weeks. I got biopsies done. Um I didn't get any answers and eventually thankfully I uh Got a transfer to Memorial Sloan. Right. Which is where I spent another week, but getting treatment. So in total, a month in the hospital. So was there surgery or just chemotherapy? Uh, Both. Okay. Was it invasive or? Um, What do you mean by invasive? Like, did they cut your entire body open and put stitch it back together, or was it oh, like yeah. laparoscopic? <laughs> or you had the whole the whole monty? I, I've had both. I've had both. I've had um, laparoscopic. I've had um, that was just for the biopsies, right? But um, I had four rounds of uh, TIP, which is Taxol, Cisplatin, Ifosamide. Yeah. Um, and then after that, uh, I had to have an IVC filter placed because they thought I had a blood clot. And um, I was put on, like, blood thinners for three months. So this is, like, the best vacation ever. I did. I wanted a vacation so badly, but um, (laughs) not, yeah, not this way. And then after that, I had surgery, and um, I had, I guess, what they call, like, a a clamshell. Right. Um, And they removed a four-pound tumor. and From your chest? Yeah, from my chest. And I also had, um, I guess, like... Did they show it to you? No, I wanted to see it, but yeah. then after surgery, I was like, no, I don't want to see it. <laughs> yeah. And I had uh, my pericardium replaced and with like a plastic baggie, I guess. And um, Can you inflate it like a tooth? Like the, you know, yeah. I don't know. No, no, I don't inflate it. It's just like there. So, and then um, I guess uh, the majority of my right lung removed. So. Did you have breathing issues this whole time or it was just. Yeah, between. Um, between I guess chemotherapy and the surgery, um, I was coughing up blood. So wow. like closer to the surgery, I just like was hacking up blood um, overnight and like, like wow, yeah. So they had to like I guess expedite my surgery. So you have one and a quarter lung now. Yeah, like one and a quarter, one and a third, because you know how like the right lung has three uh, lobes. Yeah, three lobes. Yeah. Yeah. So I have like one and a third. Okay. Hey, so uh, so uh, this is leads us to like the what now. What next? Like, when did they say to you, all right, go home, have a nice life? Um, Or did they? No, they, they technically didn't because then um, at that point when I did kind of get the uh, the boot, and if you want to say that, uh, and try to return to a normal life, like six months later, I got diagnosed with the second cancer with the angiosarcoma. Mm-hmm. So I really never left. This is kind of like um, right now, This these last... Uh, Almost a year now is when I guess you can say I fully got the boot and it hasn't been. Um, it's been nice. but So the know. second cancer, do they know if that was a result of being treated for the first one or was that was completely different out of nowhere? Um, it, it was related. So 
the first, the mass that they had taken out was uh, consisted mostly of blood vessels. Okay. So a second cancer had formed. So angiosarcoma is a cancer of the blood vessels. Right. So the second cancer had formed within the tumor. And um, it somehow, I guess, maybe tried to traveled in my bloodstream to my shoulder. So I had, like, um, my right acromia, and that's what, like, lit up during the uh, scans. And that's why I got diagnosed with the metastatic angiosarcoma. And then I had that removed. Was so, that another surgery as well? More yeah, that was, an, that was another surgery. So it was another surgery. It wasn't... So you've been carved up. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but, um, I mean, that's way easier than chemo. Like, yeah, I'd rather yeah. take that in any day than chemotherapy. So. so overall, from start to finish, not that there's a finish, but from start to go home, how long was that? It was, I guess, more than a year and a half. Wow. Of your life. Yeah. When you could have been going to grad school and doing great things. Yeah. So, and this was at Sloan. Yeah, this was at Sloan. Like, I've, all, all my surgeries, all my therapy was at Sloan. So, they did a good job, clearly, because you're here. Yeah, all my, oh my God, I have amazing doctors. I'm yeah. so thankful for it. Are you by any chance part of their long term follow up program? Because um, what they do is they, they what they're supposed to do is give you like this report card, like, hey, you're done, but you're never really quite done, and here's like forty things to worry about to freak you out for the rest of your life. No, I am not on a long term plan because I think I, I pretty much like I went from having uh, like scans and MRIs like on a monthly basis, and it's kind of just being ex- extended at this point. So I guess that's like my long term plan is just to monitor my situation for now and i think maybe in like a year or two years they'll kind of actually give me the boot and be like okay we'll see you (laughs) i can just see this giant boot just like kick like a cartoon style just kick you out yeah like no but yeah i'll be thankful so let's talk about the what now where where are you now and how are you doing um right now i am doing well just working um i just started doing push-ups again so that's good yeah for me that's exciting were you offered any pt or rehab or anything i mean i I had to have surgery i had to have physical therapy for my um shoulder surgery because uh it limited my mobility right but now it's like pretty uh, i mean it's like it never existed like i never had the surgery so i'm thankful for that but um yeah i had physical therapy for a few months um and then after that i kind of just like did everything else on my own like tried to exercise whenever possible i do martial arts so i do get i'm active at least three to four times all right i won't mess with you i promise (laughs) (laughs) but not yeah i know right so you're working now at the center against domestic violence at a nonprofit. yes it's a nonprofit. so i assist with uh, development and fundraising there um and they've been like really understanding also of of my situation because my um, direct supervisor, she had breast cancer. So Oh, wow. So there's uh, yeah. empathy. Yeah, definitely. So they um, they have been great with me. They're very flexible with my hours. So I either come in early or leave late whenever I have appointments. So um, I've been really lucky. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember if we talked about the cancer and career stuff when you were at uh, a conference, right? I think you may have at some point. Well, it, this notion of reasonable accommodation is what yes, we mentioned. Yes. Like, like if you are sick or you have to go through all these things that would normal person quote normal unquote you know would ha- never have to deal with, they they ha- legally they have to, but morally they should be nice about it. And you you seem to be in a lucky position. That sounded horrible, which means lucky <laughs> because your HR person had breast cancer. But it's that level of empathy and understanding. 
Just yeah, thank that's you. necessary. So, and I've been very thankful and lucky. So here we are, like two years plus later. You gonna try for grad school again? Yeah, definitely. I think um, I'm not sure when I'm gonna apply, but I think right now I might try. And, uh, I don't know what my plans are for the next. I guess year. I have some things in mind, but I'm really focused on my summer and kind of enjoying it. It's like my first summer in the last. I know two years. You're like, you're like can, free to be you and me. It's amazing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Travel, have fun. So that's my focus, my primary focus right now. Well, that's wonderful. Where is your family around? Yeah, my family. Most of my family is in the city, so I'm lucky in that regard. Also, so yeah, I, I wanted to wrap the interview because our next segment is a whole family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So what was this like for your family? Siblings, parents, cousins? Um, yeah, I have uh, two siblings from my father's side. Um, they were supportive. Um, and my family and overall, like, was extremely uh, supportive. Uh, they stuffed my face and made sure I, <laughs> I kept, you know, I was, uh, I didn't go under a certain amount of weight. But, um, but yeah, they were really supportive and they helped me a lot. So I was... Um, just lucky overall, I guess. I had a great support system, great doctors, and the family was important for the morale also. Do you blog? Do you write? I mean, what are some of the things that help you get through it? Um, no, I don't blog or write. I think the you, martial you, arts you, helped Yeah, I was going to do punch things. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> punch, punches, yeah. Yeah, that that, that definitely helped. And, yeah. Um, and just reaching out to people, coming to your, your events, like OMG East, that was amazing. I, I hope you come back this time. We're doing it yeah, again. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll be there. Yeah, you're a lifer. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. I can't thank you enough. I mean, I've wanted to have you on the show for a long time. And then I'm sorry. No, thank you for the opportunity to come on. Amazing. Appreciate it. Thank uh, Miguel you. Miguel Ramirez, two-time young adult cancer survivor, 80s baby. I love that he was in your, your bio, 80s baby. <laughs> uh, awesome guy. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Good luck. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, Mel. Now the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That's events.stupidcancer.org. Sign up for meetup alerts and never miss a meetup again. If you'd like to learn more about hosting your own stupid cancer meetup, visit stupidcancer.org slash meetup. Okay, there are events happening in Chapel Hill, West Chicago, Cherry Hill, and San Diego. No one should face cancer alone because isolation sucks. Now you can get instant anonymous peer support on your mobile device with Instapeer, our free mobile app for iOS and Android devices. Create your account and privately message with fellow patients, survivors, and caregivers just like you who've been there and walked in your shoes. Join our mobile community of thousands right now, Instapeer. We've launched a newsfeed aggregator on Tumblr for all the articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have the time to post on social media. Check out what we're reading 24-7 and don't miss a beat. Subscribe at stupidcancer.org slash feed. If you've not yet checked out the Stupid Cancer Community Forums, you are missing out. Join thousands of your peers in a safe and meaningful online environment. You get connected, swap stories, learn from one another, and foster the young adult cancer conversation. <laughs> With hundreds of topics, discussion groups, and issues to discuss and join in on, it's a great place to get busy living. Learn more at stupidcancer.org slash community. Support our programs and services by heading over to stupidcancerstore.org. You'll feel great and look great in your new Stupid Cancer gear. That's stupidcancerstore.org. 
be proud, wear stupid cancer. And that is your stupid cancer news. Noah Wexler is a brain cancer survivor who just finished his sophomore year of high school and has been cancer-free for six years. Joining Noah in studio is his whole family, Dad Bob, Stepmom Patty, Brother Jack, and Stepsister Tara. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the Wexlers. Hello. You got the big applause. It's a whole family. It's a big deal. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to have you here. Thank you. Yeah, um, you were in town on vacation. Exactly. And you reached out, and I said, well, just show up. You did. You did. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised. I was just coming to, we just wanted to meet you, but uh, we didn't expect this. It's great. Yeah, no, I'm very excited. I mean, Noah, your story is, is incredible. I don't get to meet, for obvious statistical reasons, many medulloblastoma patients at all. I think the stat is still 200 a year worldwide. It's about 200,000, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, like that's such a tiny fraction of the brain cancer world, in and of itself, is a small group. Let alone like the not eighty-year-old people that get it. Yeah, and yet I think it is it is the most common tumor, brain cancer, pediatric brain. brain yes, cancer it's tumor. the most it's the most common pediatric brain tumor. Um, it's not the most common pediatric cancer. That's still acute right. lymphoblastic leukemia, and then some of the sarcomas. Um, but yes, like, well, welcome to the club. You know, we're, we're a niche number one group of top <laughs> brain cancer. Pediatric. Lucky you. Yes. <laughs> lucky us. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was, uh, I wouldn't say lucky, but I was 21, uh, which is uncommon because the tumor typically presents at the age of four, which you were when you were diagnosed. No, fourth no. grade, fourth grade, fourth 10, grade. you he, were 10. Yeah. Nine. Like, under the age of 12 or 13 is around when the tumor typically presents. And I was 21, which is bizarre it, they it had is. no idea why i had it and then we found out that it's a congenital tumor that you're born with it yes and it's just a mixed up genetics in something that happens and all that nonsense right because when i uh when i discovered uh you had written an article and i and i saw that you were you had you were 21 when you were diagnosed and i i was i was really surprised i was really surprised i know i i think i've only met maybe one or two other people that have medulla that were diagnosed in their 20s. I know this is like an adult version of it that happens in like geriatrics, but it's a different biology. Gotcha. Which is even rarer. Mm -hmm. So, Noah, welcome to New York for the first time. Thank you. Yeah, you having fun so far? Yes, a lot of fun. What did you do so far? Uh, we walked the Brooklyn Bridge. Um, we went to um, Little Italy, saw that um, Twin Towers Memorial. Yeah, I heard today. you went. You went up. You went. Oh, you showed the memorial, or, the, or you went up. We no, we did a um, we did a tour, yeah. a, a walking tour today. Okay. And, and uh, did you see the museum? Yes. But you yeah, didn't. You didn't go it. up to the top. We, we didn't see the big museum today. We went. We went through a different walking tour, which were, it was the nine eleven tribute center. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. It's just as interesting. I mean, the museum itself underground is is like it's like going to the Holocaust Museum. It's so intensely moving. Yeah. Well, even the museum that they had at the 9-11 Tribute Center was, it was pretty, pretty moving. They weren't selling cheese plates, were they? There's all Not those that I'm aware of. No, the gift shop comes under a lot of heat because they sell like the most ridiculous memorabilia. The most we, ridiculous. We were just saying that today, too, because uh, her, Tara's dad uh, collects shot glasses. Mm -hmm. And we were joking that there would be a 9-11 shot glass. And there was. Yeah. There was. 
goes, that's appropriate. I know. That's exactly. <laughs> I said, I, and I told Terry, I said, there's no way there would be that. They're not going to have that there. Yeah. And, yep, there was. Sure enough. No, not one, at the actually. Tribute Center, but at the at the gift shop next door. No, I, I mentioned the cheese plate because there was a cheese plate in the shape of America. Ugh. And there was like a World Trade Center like offshoot of it with like the salsa. Went. It was it was really tacky. Completely tactless. Anyway, I digress. It, the, it's po- it, it was with powerful. The, with the it, it was powerful. Yeah. The whole thing was yeah. was powerful. But all right, so let's get to your your story. Fourth grade, hard enough being ten to begin with, or nine to begin with. And uh, I mean, I assume you probably had very similar symptoms uh, that I had, like dizziness and slurred speech or peripheral seizures, typical stuff. Vomiting. Yeah, it started nausea. with vomiting yeah. and uh, yeah. And then they thought it was gastrointestinal. So that's how they treated it at first. Because they, they thought it was like a ulcerative colitis well, or something. Or it was the typical. You the parents, you get a a call in the morning. Your kid threw up at school. Yeah, no biggie. Took him, you know. And then it happened again. Right. And then we took him to the doctor, and they thought there was maybe a stomach issue. Mm-hmm. And because he had had a few stomach issues when he was younger, and then it happened again, and then. Uh, uh, so my, then they started taking foods away. They started to see what. If, yeah, to try to like see like an allergy yeah. or yeah, exactly. Yeah, like an allergy thing, and then didn't work. No, <laughs> of not. no effect. And yeah. then my mom, I think, was the one who actually noticed he was because he used to st- stay at her house a lot, and uh, that he was watching TV with one eye closed. Yes, yes, and that, and right around that time, it was they said we were gonna. I, there was one last time I he got we got a call from the school and when I went to pick him up, he was almost unconscious on his feet. Right, he, he was mm-hmm. just almost. And then it was like, get him to a. We took him like at eleven at night for an MRI. Well, for our listeners out there, and you know this, medulloblastoma is the only brain tumor or brain malignant brain tumor that is not in your brain. It's no. in your cerebellum, which is for those of you who remember Bio One Hundred One, is the other part of your brain below your brain. <laughs> yep, and that is the part of your brain that controls all the things that you don't: your lungs, your liver, or anything that is um what they call autonomic. Yes. Getting all nerdy here, but like anything autonomic that you don't control, that part of your brain controls it. So, like your gait, and yep. your memory, and your hearing, and your balance, and your 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 stasis, all things that he he's still is challenged with because of that exactly exactly so do you remember i mean this was a while ago for you but do you remember being 10 and and this happening to you vividly yeah very (laughs) vividly were you scared um i didn't really understand what was going on at that point right um i just remember my mom getting a call and us going to the hospital and that was i didn't fully understand until they explained it to me like two weeks after did you know something was wrong with you though Yes. Yeah, I knew something was, yeah, going on with uh, my stomach. I thought it was like what the doctor said, and stomach problems. And Right. So pediatrics has evolved a lot in 20 years. Um, this was what, six years ago, right? 2009? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so about six, six seven years ago. Um, how, how, As parents, as young parents, do you feel like you were treated like young parents and that that um noah had sort of a sanctuary of of appropriateness around what he was going through 
Mm, what do you mean a sanctuary of appropriate? Like, like it was. Um, well, pediatric has evolved a lot. It, they, the, the experience is different when you're not three, when you're ten, when you're fourteen, and the centers tend to understand the ages better now than just throwing everyone into one room. Yeah, uh, he was. I mean, we were treated at, at um, Children's Hospital of Michigan, and they're very. They're all about the the kids and and making right. sure that the kid. It's almost it's a, it's a patient bill of rights for children. Good. So if that's kind of what you're, you know, it's yeah, like you have the right to 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 complain. You have the right to cry. But what was really shocking is that he never did. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was unbelievable what he was put through and <laughs> yeah. and never complained about it. So mesoblastoma has uh, evolved in terms of its treatments. When I was diagnosed, there was no chemotherapy for it. I was forced to have just radiation. Mm-hmm. Did they present you with options? Uh, yeah, we had. It's kind of a weird. It's a very weird dynamic because we were told he would have uh, chemo, chemotherapy. Well, be after the resection. Yes. You know, the tumor, two tumor resections. Unfortunately, right. Uh, they were. To, we were told he would have radiation. Chemotherapy and radiation concurrently because it was such an aggressive uh, tumor. And what was what was odd about about the about the whole thing is, is that you don't really you, as a parent you don't really process that. It, it's a very when the, you know they say to you, well, you have he has a sixty percent or seventy percent chance of survival, and out, outside you would think that's great. But when you're a parent, it doesn't matter. You're going. <laughs> you mean I have a forty percent chance yeah. that I'm going to lose my kid? Yes. And it's a. It's just a very. Is there any better way to have that news given to you, or do you even want to know that? Like that's that's the other question. It's like bedside matter, and delivery of communications to parents. We were lucky. I think. I think we had some very good, very good doctors, wonderful nurses. Um, I I think that I don't I don't know if there is a way to deliver that. Right. I, I'm not sure that there. there but you'd want to know the odds. Yeah. Yeah. I, and and actually for me the, the my the question I had after I, while I was trying to process it all was is there a chance that Jack because I didn't realize it was congenital type you know I thought it was yeah. just hereditary and you know they told us no 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 it's not but yeah there's no good way but they. I would have no complaints about the way that they they handled us and handled him and you know we had the normal you one thing you always have to do when you're in that is people don't realize you really have to advocate for your child. Yes. You are the only one there who can advocate for your child. You're the only one even though the nurses and doctors care you if you don't advocate your child will not get the top level that you that you you have to push. Right. So Noah, do you remember when you were um, out of surgery and finished with your chemotherapy? Did you noticeably feel better? Um. Yeah, I remember. I didn't have as many headaches. I didn't have the. Um, I I still had a few symptoms that I did, like the vision, the problem with the vision. I still had that, the um, split vision between two eyes and the. Um, Sometimes the vomiting a little bit, right? But um, that that was it. I did felt, you lose your hair? 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sucks. He also <laughs> developed. He had mutism too, which is a very rare post-op type thing, and he really was didn't couldn't really communicate that much for almost a couple months afterwards. Is that a resultant of the surgeries and the radiation uh, the, and the chemo? The surgeries, right? Post, right? Yeah, post-op. So was that recognized immediately, and you were in, put on like a speech uh, program? Um, yeah, yeah, pretty, yeah. It was um, I noticed right after I got out of the surgery, I couldn't talk to my parents. <laughs> right. So, but. Well, here you are. Yeah. Sound good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, now he has no problem. Yeah, talking. they did a good job. <laughs> <laughs> now we can't get him to shut up. <laughs> so let's go back to school then. Did you miss all of fourth grade? Did you go back to fourth um, grade? Part way in to okay. fourth grade. I went back for part time school and then I had some at home to homeschooling. And we've heard horror stories and amazing stories about children in elementary school who get sick and how cruel kids can be in general when you're not sick. What was your experience with your classmates? Um, they were all glad that I was back in school and glad to see us, and we didn't have any trouble at all. Well, that's any, good. Anyone, no. Well, that's good. We need we need better stories like that. There's, there's <laughs> some tough stuff out there. Yeah, we've been very we, we've been really lucky because he missed he was diagnosed in he, his first symptoms were in December of the school year, so relatively early, and then he was diagnosed and he missed all of the rest of third grade and then part of fourth grade, and we've been all the way through. Very lucky. Our school system has been wonderful. I mean, the support that he he still has a full-time aide with him, which is very unusual in a public school system. Especially in high school. Yeah, especially in high school. Right. And so we've been we, we've been extremely fortunate that that we're in the school system we're at and we've had the supports that we've had. So your siblings are here on the couch looking like they don't want to talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> But I'll give them the option that uh, if either of you, uh, Tara or Jack, want to chime in, what it was like to have a a, a, a sibling going through this. The, the siblings are often lost. My brother um, is three and a half years younger than me. He was a freshman at college when I was a senior, and he basically became a non-existent member of the family for no <coughs> reason other than the obvious, which is that I needed the care that my parents could give me. And you know, it, it, it's it, you know we're twenty years out. It's it's everything's fine now. But it was definitely something where he could have used some support. And there's two of you, so you technically can support each other. But when there's one sibling, it's often difficult. Would either of you, and you're free to say no, be interested in coming on mic and telling us how you you felt? Sure. All right, Jack's getting up. So, um, at the time, I was kind of young, so I didn't really know what was going on. So it was really strange because half the time either my parents weren't home, so they, they kind of took shifts. So it was weird. Like half the time I didn't know where either of them were. And uh, there was a long period of time where I didn't talk to Noah, which was, I hate to say, good and bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm. Because he annoyed me sometimes, but. I think that's called family. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, and what he just said is it's interesting too because. The dynamic between them didn't change really, mm-hmm. which was wonderful. He Jack's never treated him differently because he had cancer. They still f- fight like he's just brother. a jerk. Yes, exactly. <laughs> which is great. I, I, I think it was. Well, that's good. You know, there are a lot of um, camps out there for siblings of children that uh, get sick, and we we work with one called Camp Kessem. I know they're all around the country, 
but I know the American Cancer Society has some camps for siblings. Is that something you were aware of? Would you have gone to one of those if you knew about them? I don't know. It's an open-ended question. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't think it was something we ever, we ever really yeah, looked we didn't into. Really. Yeah. We work with a group called Super Sibs. They do peer support for siblings of children. Um, so, like, if you're under 18 and your sibling is under 18, they'll match you with a, another someone, and they have camps and experiences, too. Oh, interesting. I mean, it's such an unmet need, and, and it's so easy to just go under the radar because clearly our primary concern is getting no well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and, why you tend to focus <clears> everything, you know. We do a lot of workshops on caregivers, um, and that's the two of you, mom and dad. How do you care for yourself, and how can you be a good caregiver if you don't care for yourself? Yeah. Did you have any caregiver support or resources while you were going through this? Well, Noah's, Patty is Noah's stepmom. Noah's mom um, at the time uh, was, wasn't working, so she was able to be there, you know, 24 seven. And she and I would switch off going, you know, in the hospital back and forth. And, you know, Patty was helping taking, you know, taking care of Jack at at that time, you know, so we were, everyone just was kind of filling in and rotating. And, you know, it was really a, a, we have a really great family support system, you know, Noah's mom, Patty, grandparents, Grandparents. we're really lucky. Everyone was, was involved. Coworkers. Yeah. Family, friends, and Boy Scouts. We have food dropped so off the whole, at our house. Everyone was, opened up their house to you. Yeah. Pretty it, much, it was yeah. a community. It really yeah, was. It, it was, was a. It was a. A really great um, outpour. I mean, you don't expect it, but I mean, just we were just gobs of of stuff for him, just showing up. That's and, good. Yeah. It, it was. It was. Heated. People like you. <laughs> You're doing something yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. Obviously. Yeah. So Hopefully. here you are coming up on your your six years. I don't like the word cure. Uh, I don't know how you feel about the word cure. Uh, I like to say you're still here <laughs> six years <laughs> yeah. later in whatever shape or form that is. You're yeah. still here. Doctors typically say uh, in remission or no evidence of disease, something really yeah. automaton like that, that kind of sucks the humanity out of it. Yeah. It's interesting that you said that. Cause I remember when he hit the five year mark, which is supposed to be the magical the magical number. Yeah. And you know, as a parent, it's like you never, it doesn't matter. It, five years is, it's not, it doesn't feel like that. No. But I remember his oncologist saying to us, it's not really cure, but the, but the chances of recurrence go down dramatically. And, right. and that's what it, that's how I kind of interpreted it. Yeah. I went, look, he's cured of cancer, but mm-hmm. he's, you know, cancer free. Yeah, what he's, exactly. You know. So now you are a high school sophomore. Yep. You're into animals. Yes. You, ra- you you told me you raised rabbits before the show. Yeah. Why rabbits? Um, I I don't know. I got into rabbits actually before I got sick. Um, someone told me about the 4-H program and rat. 4-H is reason. still around. 4-H is yeah. no way alive yeah. and well. I remember Michigan. 4-H. The yeah. commercials here in the 80s. 4-H for you for America. 4-H. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Just, you just grabbed a piece of my brain that has been active in 30 years. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, he's in a great 4-H club. Wow, that's wonderful. Yeah. So I understand that you have an interest in going into like a zoology type yeah. of like future. Yeah. It's very exciting. <laughs> yeah, I I hope to do something <clears throat> like in that line of yeah. work. So. so is that your primary? We, we talk about what are your anchors? Like what, what helps you grind yourself 
you know, it, it's we it's hard enough being a high school. I hated being a high school sophomore, and I was fine. You know, I, I can only imagine these days with with uh, all the social media and the tech and the cell phones and all that. It's it's insanely different. Noah is a we call Noah, and we always have even before he got sick. He's an old soul. Yeah. And he's it does not, age you mentally. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. he was like that before. Even before, yeah. he just, he's always gravitated more towards adults. He's not. He's mm-hmm. not into video games and stuff. He'd much rather build a leg, a giant Lego set. Yeah, he, he's always been more into that. So it that the social end of it hasn't been traumatic for him. Mm-hmm. You know, as it might have been. For other kids who are much more extroverted, right, like that, he's always been kind of you know happy to be at home doing his thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, how do you feel about yourself now, six years out of um, cancer? <laughs> feel uh, happy that I'm six years out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. You still feel... deal with some side effects. Yes. Because um, those also go undiscussed too much. Well, that was the article that introduced me to you. <laughs> really. The consequence of, quote, cure, quote, right. you know. Right, because everyone, I think people in generally say, oh, you, you had cancer, you're fine. Yep, get on with but your life. But it's the endocrinologist, the yes. gastroenterologist, the ongoing, you know, with oncologists. It's a whole. Right. Well, I remember, uh, so part of the Sloan Kettering long-term pediatric program uh, that I mentioned with Miguel, they follow patients for uh, 20 years. If you're diagnosed under, I think, 26, they'll follow you for 20 years afterwards. And, uh, you know, they talk about cardiac cardiomyopathy as a late effect of some of the chemotherapy, osteopenia, when you're prepubescent and your spine doesn't develop right, scoliosis, which I have from, from, my, uh, from my late effects. And, um, is that something that you have active conversations with when you go back, or do you go back and see these doctors? Yeah, there's um, like uh, sun exposure. Yeah, sun. Can't, I have uh, conversations with that. Do you bathe in like copper tone? I had, to bathe, much, in, I had yeah. to bathe in copper tone for like <laughs> five years. Yeah, he has a lot. I mean, the the radiation and chemo. He takes a a thyroid replacement drug. He takes a cortisone replacement drug. Mm-hmm. Uh, he takes a pill to help with his eating. He takes a shot. We, he gets a growth hormone shot every night. Yeah. So uh, th- along the lines of the article you wrote, you can't understand that until you go through it. Exactly. It, it doesn't end. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's the cancer's over, but then it's it's just a whole battery. Right. The, the damage it does, you're cured, which is not cured, but you're cancer-free, which is wonderful. But there's a huge price you pay, too. No, and, and uh, that is the part for me that, A, is most personal because that is me and that is our story. But what this organization uh, stands for is the dignity of life if you're lucky and fortunate to beat cancer. And there are still people living with cancer that are thriving on all the right medicines for some reason. We have a chief program officer who was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, what, seven years ago, Mel? Six years ago? I think it's actually eight. Eight. And she was on a couch waiting to die, getting her affairs in order, and it's been six years, and she's living with cancer, and she's getting married, what, next month? She's getting married in less than a month. Less than a month. Like, so this is is the new cancer. You know, what does that really mean? What does cure mean? And how do we represent that, you know, authentically? Whereas I would take umbrage with, and you've, clearly articulate you take umbrage with 
people out there that are just throwing the word cure around. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I think if you if you don't live it, you don't understand. You know, you 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 say the word cure, and I'm sure no one means anything. It, yeah, but it it just takes on a totally different meaning. The whole thing once once you're involved in it, yes, and, and you watch your child go through it. it, it just takes on a totally different meaning. So let me talk about peer support. I mean, that that to me is the one thing that I wished I had. You know, just meeting another college kid with any cancer. I didn't care about his brain. I just wanted to meet some kid that had cancer in college and knew what it was like. And it took me seven years to meet somebody. But I was way out of, I was way back into life by then. So it, it was a different, like, Jesus, where were you when I needed you? Right. Would have been nice back then. But from your perspective, Noah, did were you introduced at the hospital or anywhere else to other young men who were beating brain cancer? Yeah. Um, I was introduced to one. Um, he was like, an, I think he was 20 years old. That um, I think he had the same cancer. He was having the same effects as me, and I only talked to him a couple times. And um, But um, then... Like, um, there was one person in my class, he got leukemia, and he was diagnosed maybe a month before I was, and had surgery, and, um, I think he's not doing, he still has leukemia, but, um, I, um, I talked to him a couple times, too. I haven't seen him in a while, but, yeah, that, that's it. Our, our community, it's a small community, but... One of Jack's best friends when they were going to seventh grade was diagnosed with a glioblastoma and passed away. At what age? At, going into was, seventh grade. He was 12. A glio was 12. at 12 years old? Yeah. yeah it was, wow. Yeah, and, and passed away. He was diagnosed Not in September, oh. treated at St. Jude's. They couldn't. Right. And, I mean, we're very close with the family, but it, it would be very unusual in a community our side to have that that many kids in yeah, a short I know. In, within mm-hmm. three or there's four years there's been several it's like a cluster yeah. clump it, it was it yeah, yeah we're like maybe there's something in the water i mean we were literally well you're not, not near yeah. flint are you <laughs> yeah no. pardon you're, you're not, not near flint <laughs> are you not that no far. that place is <laughs> bad yeah, news yeah. Good. <laughs> <clears throat> so let, so as far as parents then were you did i mean I, I actually don't know the answer to this question i've been hoping to find an answer to this question i don't get an audience with young parents that much from pediatrics uh, it's just not our community yet. I, we're starting to see an uptick in young parents who have young children finding community within our programs and services. A lot of them come to our conferences just to meet other young parents. They're, their kids can't come because they're minors. Um, although we have some, I think some teenagers came this year to CancerCon, right? We do have teenagers that come to CancerCon. Yeah. But I wouldn't expect like a 10-year-old to come with their parents. But... Did you seek any support from other parents or were there other parents at the cancer center that you could speak with or specifically parents of Medjolo? No. Mm-mm. No, we really didn't. I and think we and just that had so much support yeah. from our family and friends that we didn't really feel like we needed to. Right. Or maybe we did out. need to, we just didn't know we needed to. Yeah, maybe. Well, that's the open ended question. It's what you don't know you don't if you don't know what you need. Right. You're immersed in it. Yeah. And you don't you you can't really see the forest for the, I mean, you're, yeah. So I think that's probably more what it was than anything else. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned before the show, my dad was 47 when I was diagnosed and he would have killed to meet any parent who had any kid with cancer. Looking back, I think it would have been a lot. It would have been nice because 
you have a common there's you when when you have when you're dealing with that everyone is so careful about what they say to you and and I think if you're dealing with another parent they they would understand it and you wouldn't have that weirdness that yeah. that awkwardness right exactly but I think on the other side of that when Jack's friend got when Jack's friend got sick we kind of really reached out to the family and tried to really kind of yeah. help them and kind of helping them yeah. understand what was going to happen and what he right. would go we, through. Right at the beginning, I wrote him, and we didn't know the family that well before, and we I wrote them a lot, you know, saying, you know, this is what is going to happen, and if you need someone, you know, to talk to her to help you through any of this, and your son is going to amaze you because the courage that, no, I mean, it's beyond words, <laughs> the amount of courage that these kids show when they're going through this. I mean, these are young kids in many cases, and it, it, it was mine. I mean, he's the one who kept us going. Yeah. We didn't keep yeah. him going. So, Noah, who's going to play in the movie? Nick Jonas? <laughs> yeah. Yeah? Brad Pitt. <laughs> Brad Pitt. Nick, I'm going to go Nick Jonas. 40 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> you got a One Direction thing going on. I kind of like that. <laughs> The teenagers are laughing at the 42-year-old guy making One Direction reference. <laughs> I will stop now. Attempting okay. to be relevant. <laughs> I, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> so we always ask our guests, um, what is your message to other kids going through cancer? Um, I guess take all the help you can get and uh, take one day at a time. So when things got really bad, and we know how bad they can really get. The, the stuff we don't talk about on the air. The stuff that only happens at 3 in the morning. What did you do? Wh- where did you find that strength from? I don't know. <laughs> I guess just that, um, well, I wasn't really told that the risks of every anything. Um, so I just kept li- li- you know, living normally, trying to live normal. And... Um, you know, I didn't know this was life-threatening until, you know, um, till pretty far into the chemo and radiation, and everything else, and uh, <laughs> that was that was uh, why I just kept live trying to live every day out at the time. And clearly, you did. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. I was uh, my my surgery itself, and I know the surgeries come a long way since I had it twenty years ago. Back then, they literally ripped your whole head open and went through your brainstem and with like a like a fishing hook or something, something ridiculous. And the survival rate for the surgery twenty years ago was twenty five percent. For for the invasive, mine was invasive. Like the the cerebellum is is large, so it could be anywhere in it. It was like way inside by the mm-hmm. corpus callosum, so. Only when I beat the can uh, the surgery, they're like, "Oh yeah, you twenty five percent chance to survive." <laughs> you told like, me that yes, <laughs> thank, thank you for not disclosing that in advance of my going out of the knife. Exactly. Well, I'm really inspired uh, by you, Noah. It's it's an amazing story. It's it's stories that don't get enough attention out there, and it's another narrative around the dignity of survivorship right. that you have the rest of your life to live meaningfully and purposefully, and nothing should get in your way because you didn't ask to get sick. No. And that a five-year diagnosis doesn't mean anything to someone that's 10 years old. You want a 50% chance to live 300 years. <laughs> Do that math. Yep. You just did the math. I smelled your brain doing mm-hmm. that math. You're a smart kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He is a smart kid. Well, I, yeah. I, you're, you're, 
organization, I, I really feel such a need, I think, for, for people that are dealing with this. And I think it's uh, important work that you're doing. And I, I hope that you'll, you know, we, we want to get more involved in what you're doing because it, it's just a part of it that people don't think about. So do I smell a stupid cancer Detroit chapter? There could, up? there really could be, <laughs> <laughs> there really could be. Uh, maybe, maybe go, maybe go and Noah part two. <laughs> yeah, tell us about that. We have about uh, two or three minutes left. Go um, and Noah. Um, my mom started it um, before I was done with treatment, and um, it went first. It went to the Brain American Brain Tumor Association, um, and I remember. The first one they had, I don't, I didn't know if I was gonna go or not because I didn't feel great at that point, and I didn't. My uh, immune system was uh, sh- uh, pretty shot from the. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Um. So I didn't know if I was gonna go, and but I, I did anyway. I did decide <laughs> to go. He just finished treatment. Like, wow. Just yeah. finished treatment. Mm-hmm. Literally, yeah. we didn't know if he was gonna be able to go because he had just finished treatment the week before. The first go and Noah. Wow. Yeah. So and, and and we do have a seven year run of horrible weather every single year. <laughs> For every Saturday of yeah. October. Single year. Yeah. It's always horrible weather. How do you th- have you thought of changing the date? <laughs> that's that's his mom. I'm just uh, kidding. But I, I thought of summer, but we want but the school gets more involved when it's during the school year. So when do you graduate? When's graduation? Uh two thousand eighteen. No, I mean from sophomore year. When oh. you when you when is the last day oh, of school? Done. Oh, done. Last oh, you're done. You're officially yeah, yeah. you're done. you're almost it, junior. Yep. Wow. I right. finished last Thursday. Last Thursday. So this vacation is like a post. Yeah, they just finished school Thursday. ending. Yep. yep. Excellent. Yeah. Well, and, good for you. Junior year. Top 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 student. Like yes, he is. Really top student. I'm not Except surprised. for Spanish. Except for Spanish. Okay. Donde esta? Yeah. No sabe. No. Yeah. No. That's perfectly fine. Well, I'm very inspired by you. We're all very inspired by you. You are stupid cancer. Noah Wexler, long-term medulloblastoma survivor, here with his family, Bob, Patty, his siblings, Tara, and Jack, the Wexler family. Thank you so much for taking the time to come out here to New York City for holiday, but stopping by our humble studio and sharing your story with us. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Okay. Okay, Mal. Now this crowd loves you guys. All right, now it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks. That's our show, the 389th episode of The Stupid Cancer Show. Never miss an episode by subscribing to podcasts on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. I'd like to thank our guests, Miguel Ramirez and the Wexler family. Broadcasting since 2007, The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. Coming to you from the chemo deck. And on behalf of my team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, we hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you right back here on the next exciting podcast of the Stupid Cancer Show. Goodbye, folks.
cancer effects. 